Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Coming to you here on a Tuesday evening. I know for our loyal of loyalist listeners, uh, you're probably expecting our college baseball episode to be coming up here soon. But we got a really special episode that's going to drop on Friday. So without giving up too much information on that, uh, just if you're interested in some college baseball, just be prepared to see something hit your podcast feed on Friday morning. But today we're going to cover a little bit more of the Major League Baseball season. Got a lot to talk about today. We're going to cover some different series around the league. We're going to talk about the return of the man, Bryce Harper. We're going to talk about some hitters who are off to a hot start to the season. There's a couple guys that have stood out to us in particular. We're going to finish it off with some talk about Mac or some Zach Gallon talk about how good he's been this year, and then finish the episode off previewing some series this weekend. So, Dan, how are we doing on this fine Tuesday evening? Are, are we feeling the juice? Are we ready to get through this podcast? Yeah, we're doing well, doing well. Weather's nice. Uh, start to the week. So, uh, you know, just day by day, working our way till Friday. The better question here is, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, you know, living the dream. You know, you, just just out there. <laughs> hanging were, out. Uh, you, you had a long day of work today, yeah? You texted ah, kind me. Of. I was surprised you were still at work when you texted me earlier. Yeah, you know, I mean, the the spirit of it being summer and higher education means flex time and, and some work from home options. So I'm utilizing my resources and, and working four tens to get that extra day off so that I could dedicate to our, our lawyer listeners a couple hours on a, on a midweek day and try to get some more content out consistently, whether it be through social media or, or anything of that nature. So it's kind of the motivation for that. So four tens, I, I already know when I was sitting there at like two, three o'clock today, I thought I was going to be like a little bit frustrated over how much time I was spending at, at the office. But tomorrow's like a Friday for me. Like basically like it's huge. Wednesday and like, I'm like, I don't have to work on Thursday. That's and then, huge. so that's, that feels nice. And, and I'm, so I'm super excited about that. Um, so yeah, a little, little bit of a longer day. I get in the office about an hour earlier, stay in about an hour later, but my commute home's 10 minutes. So you can't beat it when you're, when you're still pulling in the house at six twelve um, and getting out of the office at 6 PM. So are the, uh, are there camels scattered back across the country now? Is it summer break? Summer break campus is a, is a little bit dead, um, yeah. which is disappointing. You still got the athletes on campus. Obviously, baseball is going to be playing uh, into early June. So got a lot of people that are going to still be lingering around for that. Um, still some finals to wrap up. I think the last day for finals exactly is Wednesday. Um, so tomorrow, um, I think then it'll it'll pretty much clear out from there and 
and just transition into the the quiet time of college, which is nice to during the summer. I'm excited to be able to take my launch outside when it's nice and not be, you know, overwhelmed with with people and, and things like that. I think I mentioned this on our last college episode, but as a, as a spring sport athlete, this was always like a great time of year. Like, yeah, the buzz is nice, but you had nine months of the buzz to now be like the only people left on campus, no class to worry about, just ball and hanging out with the teammates, meal money. I was, I always enjoyed this time of year. It is a little weird when you're on a college campus though and it's dead, but that's your yeah. life now. So, I, I mean, you can't complain about it. No, no, not at all. And the the buzz of a college campus isn't exactly what I go to work looking for. <laughs> I mean, it is nice, but uh, the, the the livelihood of the campus doesn't it doesn't make or break my day, quite frankly. So, um, no, but I... <laughs> let's talk a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's talk a little bit about some of the series that obviously now are going to be concluding either either when this episode drops uh, on Wednesday. Um, but we're looking at a couple midweek series that are pretty good across the league. We got the battle of the top teams in each of our their respective leagues. The Pittsburgh Pirates take on the Tampa Bay Rays. We got the Cleveland Indian or Cleveland Guardians. I'm literally reading it. How do you botch that? I'm literally reading it's like what second it says. nature for you. Yes, Cleveland Guardians versus the New York Yankees in the Bronx. Big walk-off from Alex Verdugo at home for the Boston Red Sox against the Toronto Blue Jays last night. Obviously, they'll be playing game two tonight. The Diamondbacks take on the Rangers. And Dan, I'll kind of give you an opportunity to talk about those series before I talk about the last big series, and which will be a good segue into our first topic. Yeah, I mean... Uh, the Pirates and Rays doesn't excite me. Um, I don't care what the Pirates record is 30 games into the season. At some point, I'm going to be wrong on it, I think. But uh, this, this isn't a good team. And I think my biggest issue with the Pirates, and I know you talked about them, and I'm glad I wasn't here for it on Friday's episode. But like to me, I think my bigger issue is, isn't even necessarily like good for those guys and good for the the you know the people who have to show up and work every day. But I'm just so disgusted that ownership's like, getting a winner, getting a team that's competing because that ownership has, has shown like not enough commitment for my liking. Now they're not as bad as the A's when it comes to that. But the fact that they feel like probably that they're geniuses and outsmarting baseball by paying a bunch of guys, no money. And it's working right now. Um, is kind of where my, my feelings towards them start. You, that's what you that's don't think really the the team that's going to be across the diamond from them could say the same thing. And we give a lot of credit to the Rays' ability to build a contender with the financial restrictions that they have. I think the Rays have done it now long enough, and they've clearly proven that there's a model for um, what they're doing and finding margin on the edges. And yeah, I, I have voiced my my displeasure with Rays' ownership at times. I voiced my displeasure with them for what's going on with Tropicana Field and the fact that that team has to play there. But clearly the Rays have a system down where they're developing and um, they draft well, they develop well, they find. I mean, we've, we've lauded them over and over for how well they can find value um, in guys and they clearly get guys better and they compete and win 100 games. The Pirates don't try to do that. Like, I don't think anyone up there was like, oh, we're not going to spend any money this year because, but we're still going to try and win 100 games like the Rays do. They were up there like, oh, we're not going to spend any money and continue this quote unquote rebuild and not put any resources into it. And they're getting rewarded with a winner. I think to me, that's where the difference is. And that could be a little bit hypocritical of me for sure. But that's where I kind of draw the line. It's like, okay. You know, like what the A's do. Like the A's had no had no interest in winning baseball games this year. The Rays every single year do have an interest in winning baseball games, and they do have a way to get guys better and find value on the margins. Whereas the Pirates are like, we're just filling out the roster so that we can play. Yeah, I think to kind of, I think my opinion on the Pittsburgh Pirates is that this is the beginning of hopefully building into something that's more like. The Tampa Bay Rays. I think Ben Charrington and company definitely wants to embody something similar to that, where it's an organization built through player development, built through, you know, shrewd offseason 
signings, everything of that nature. And I definitely, I mean, they signed Carlos Santana. They didn't have to. They signed G-Man Choi. They didn't have to. They signed Andrew McCutcheon and they didn't have to. They extended Brian Reynolds and they didn't have to. So yes, 100%. I think that the Pittsburgh Pirates ownership is definitely something to you know, scoff at, quite frankly. But I think in terms of how they're building the team, I think that assuming that they're doing a good job, I mean, they grab Connor Joe from the Rockies. He's been great for them. You grab a couple more, you develop guys like Cabrian Hayes and O'Neill Cruz, sprinkle them in with a couple guys like Jack Sawinski, who they got back in, uh, I'm drawing a blank on what trade that was, but it was turned out to be a really good trade for them. Um, but you're starting to see the foundation of an organization that right now is not as deep as the Tampa Bay Rays. I would never say that because obviously they're at different points of their you know rebuild process. But you're starting to see how they might be trying to identify value in the margins and get a guy like Brian Reynolds locked up for eight years who you think is going to be a guy who's going to be a piece for you and and grab a guy like Andrew McCutcheon. And, and whether this is just good guy 300 baseball, like I like to say, or if it's a guy who's actually found something there and, and can be valuable for you um, for this season, I think it's just the timeline wise. And I guess maybe I'm talking more about Ben Charrington and company more than ownership, which is a completely different conversation. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't see the McCutcheon thing as as anything other than a. They knew they were going to be. They thought they were going to be terrible, and we needed to give the fans a reason to show up, or at least early in the season. That's why they brought in McCutcheon, bringing a legend back like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> because, and and I could be completely wrong, and they would probably never tell the truth. Um, but that's my that's my complete and. and like that is my opinion of it is like, okay, you did this just solely because you needed a way to fill. Um, do you have the Swinsky trade? Is that what you're? Yeah, it was for at one for one for Adam Frazier. Hmm. I mean, I don't, I, yeah. I don't, I, I don't love either player to be honest with you, but um, I mean, Swinsky's got staying power. Like I know sure. that right now his numbers, are, but like when we're talking about a guy who at this point in time, when you look at his baseball savant page, because it was something that caught me off guard when I first saw it, it is a lot of red. I mean, you're talking about a guy who right now average exit velocity is 92nd percentile, hard hit percentage, 90th percentile, expected WOBA's 97th percentile, barrel percentage is 98th percentile, walk percentage is 95th percentile. Yes, 19th percentile with percentage, not sustainable, but for a guy who's 24 years old to be able to have top of the league exit velocity numbers and to be able to barrel baseballs and get on base for walks, that's kind of the new age guy that's had a lot of success across the league. I mean, we, we could talk about a lot of different guys. I mean, his baseball savant page looks eerily similar to Max Muncy, who's a guy who gets paid, who's a guy who a lot of people love, you know, and he's a very valuable player. Yeah, I'm never going to knock a guy for hitting the ball hard. Um, it's not an easy thing to do at that level. And, and when you do it at, at a, a clip like that, you typically find success. Um, I just uh, – the floor is going to fall out of this team sooner or later. It definitely um, is, yeah. and I wouldn't that, disagree with that. I mean, I, I think that's um, – I just still don't think – I mean, but that's – I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here. There's not enough talent there. And sure, they've been a, a fine story through the first couple weeks of the season. Um, but I don't always love the good story. Like I'm not like a, a feel yeah. good, like I, I, I just, you're either good or you're not. Um, yeah. here's a question though, that why are they a small market team? Uh, and the, the only reason definition... I ask that is, and, and right. Well, the, cause the only reason I ask and like, I'm genuinely in, curious is because like the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Pittsburgh Steelers are not small market in their leagues. You know what I mean? So that I'm just, I'm actually curious, like what makes them operate? I mean, I guess it's different ownership. So, but you typically think of like city when you say that, and it's like you know Pittsburgh. It's not the biggest city in the world, but it's not like necessarily that small. The other two pro yeah. sports teams in that city are big market. I mean, you could just—I mean, probably tie it down to just salary cap. Like without yeah, going into more detail, is is yeah. probably just because ownership is committing to 
pushed to the salary cap and it's not like you can go over it. So right. it's a lot easier to get your owners to sign contracts when it's like, well, you're committing to a salary cap. We agreed on that between the union and baseball is kind of just that weird luxury tax, weird. It's the really the only sport where you can build a team without putting money into it. Like it's just that weird where if you really do dive into the analytics and the player development, you can build a contender without putting money into it. And I think that's, that's the the age old debate is as an ownership group do you are you making a business decision are you making an emotional fan decision and and a lot of these guys are operating under the impression that like sure that ring would be nice but like you know I didn't put fifty million dollars down on a on an organization or to more than to that. lose money on it yeah, yeah. and I mean depending I, I guess- on when they bought it. I guess I, I yeah, because to me when I think about it, like typically you can trace it back to the city, like a lot of times, right? Like yeah, all connect, like Detroit, that's pretty much three smaller market teams. Yeah, four, and they're um, a little bit bigger than but, yeah, they're bigger know. market, but and their like owner LA has a lot Boston. of dispensable cash in in the Tigers, which yes. when they were good, they spent a lot of money, they and, did. and it's they because did. Right. their owner was pushing from really probably from. <laughs> his own like kind of Steve Cohen style where it's like, no, I'm committed to this. And it's just one thing that I think everybody wants to have a voice and opinion on. And we do just as much as the next podcast is the next fan. And we will never, ever know the full details (laughs) of, of why or what, or what the numbers look like. I mean, I think, when you're talking in the millions and the billions, your margins of loss are a lot slimmer. It's not just as easy as sell tickets, fans show up, don't sell like or sign free agents, fans sell up, show up, don't sign it. There's the you know what happens if we don't play well. What happens if whatever you know like there's I don't we don't even need to go into no that yeah much I was detail, just curious because that was something I was thinking out about. Um, Recently, because obviously a lot of people have enjoyed talking about the Pirates to start this year and, and yeah. have uh, had a good time with it. So when I was thinking about it the other day, I was like, what? I look at the Steelers and the Penguins and like you would never consider them smaller market um, the way you would the Pirates. Like those are two heavy hitters in, in the sports they, they're a part of. But, yeah. yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That's a, that's a good point. I never really thought about that because we talk about the Pirates as being such a small market team. Um, and never really equated it to the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Steelers represent championships and, and contendership. And every year, it doesn't matter. Every year. doesn't like matter what, doesn't matter how you do it. Just, just I, every year. I don't know if the Steelers broke that record this year. I couldn't tell you what the Steelers record was this year, but like Mike Tomlin's been there for like 20 years and never been under 500. You know, they were always yeah. in it. And the Penguins, obviously with the guys they've had. But anyway, it's a big yeah. podcast. 100%. And and the last series that we definitely want to cover is the Phillies versus the Dodgers out in Chavez Ravine. And what's really important about that is tonight as we speak, we're about a little under two hours away from first pitch is the return of Bryce Harper. That excites a lot of people. That excites fans across Philadelphia. And it really does. It excites fans of baseball because obviously Bryce Harper's been this polarizing guy for so many years. He had the Sports Illustrated when he was 16, debuts at 19, hits a double off the wall, flips his helmet off, full mohawk, just full of that kind of swagger that rubbed a lot of people in that time frame of the 2012 era the wrong way. But now the Bryce Harper we know, two-time MVP winner, a guy who really did a lot of good things to take that Philadelphia Phillies team to the World Series, and now he's getting to have his name back in the lineup on a day-to-day basis. But of course, this comes with a caveat. He's 160 days from Tommy John surgery. And while a lot of people hear the word Tommy John surgery and are obviously, rightfully so, concerned about what that is. We hear it with pitchers all the time. He's a position guy. He doesn't necessarily need to get on the bump and and throw 100 miles per hour to have success. He needs to hit and be able to get the ball into the infield. So he's going no rehab assignment, rushing back from this injury. We mentioned 160 days. Dan, are you concerned at all about just all of that? No rehab assignment and rushing back from the injury. I know there kind of could be taken both different ways, but just the whole picture of the Bryce Harper return. I, I mean, f- 
this is so Bryce Harper though. This is what you've seen. Like you said, cover Sports Illustrated at 16, debut at 19. That video of him hitting the double and throwing the helmet off is kind of ridiculous because he so clearly just takes the helmet and drops it. Uh, yeah, like it's like so unnecessary. MVP in 15, you know, wins another one in 21 after like the Bryce Harper sweepstakes and he ends up with the Phillies. And then obviously what he did in the put, like this is just, it just falls into line. Like he was billed as the, the next big superstar in baseball when he was 16 years old and he's lived up to it the last 14 years with everything he's done. He leaves high school early um, because guys wouldn't pitch to him at the high school level. So he has to go to Juco um, or else he frankly wasn't going to get anything to hit and he wasn't going to get yeah. any better so he goes and plays junior college and it's just that's who he is and um so for him to come back in 160 days which is the quickest of any baseball player position player or pitcher um is not really surprising like that this is he's kind of superhuman like that he just fits that bill and and um are there going to be re-injury concerns uh i don't think so just not from like a, a he's coming back May 2nd instead of June 2nd or July 2nd from listening to what he had to say yesterday after what the surgeon told him. Basically, his re-injury risk isn't going to get any better now between now and the next two months. So it's like, why wait? Um, like you could because the only really thing they're concerned about is him rupturing it on a slide because, um, you know, funky things can happen when your body makes contact with the ground. Um so, like, I guess there's a little bit of concern, but there's going to be that concern throughout the summer from my understanding of things. He's obviously not going to throw, which is the biggest issue with it. I mean, he played with a torn UCL all of last year, DHing. Um, he wears the brace when he hits. So I don't think there's any concern from that standpoint. As far as the no rehab goes, and I'd be interested in your opinion, like, I don't – for a guy like Bryce Harper, I don't know how much that rehab assignment really matters. Um, just from a couple reasons. One, they've obviously been able to doing a ton of sim games throughout this whole first month of the season. They've had Ranger Suarez, who is rehabbing to get back Nick Nelson. They've brought guys from their farm system to throw against him. So he's getting full at-bats. Like, I, I know if Bryce Harper walked to the plate against me and I was a, a, in AAA, I wouldn't give him anything to hit. And I don't know what how much good that does. Like, I, <clears throat> I'll worry about the minor ligger that's standing on deck because I'm pitching for my job. You bring a guy from Double A and say go right at him. Doesn't matter if he gives up five home runs. He's not. We're not going to, you know, release him for that. But a kid goes out there and 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 I'm sure you take that in when you're evaluating your own players. Like, yeah, he got he had a bad start, but Harper took him deep. So like, but yeah. does that make sense? Like to me, it's like okay, yeah. like the rehab assignment. Like he might not get p- great pitches to hit. He went on a rehab last year. He went like five for seven and came right back and still struggled. Like. I think there's going to be some struggles early. I think assuming he's going to be the MVP starting tonight and just going on forward is a little bit kind of ridiculous. Just like Tatis hasn't been completely unbelievable since he got back, and he tore up his rehab assignment. So I don't know how much value for a guy like Bryce Harper there is in that rehab assignment. Yeah, I think it's just speed of the game, and I think it's just expectations too. Like, I don't expect Bryce Harper to be productive tonight. I expect him to to get a knock. I expect him to hit a home run at some point, and everybody's going to talk about it. And then I wouldn't be surprised if we blink, and in two and a half weeks, he's hitting 176 with two home runs and 16 strikeouts over nine and nine games, right? Like that wouldn't surprise me. And Bryce Harper's the ultra talented player that he is just because baseball is hard and not getting those reps is it's different. The quality, like you said, with Tatis, you tear up your minor leg rehab assignment and you're like, this guy's going to hit the ground running and just the quality of the game's better. It's faster. It speeds up on you. All those things that you need to settle down with the crowds and the energy and all of that stuff. That's a factor. So when it comes to that, I think if you can take those expectations and be able to understand that that's probably more realistic than expecting him to win the MVP this year, which just, if he does that, that's just a credit to the human being that he is, the freak of nature that he is. But if you understand that, yeah, well, getting live at bats and I'm, I'm probably the guy who hammers home, you know, practicing at game speed more than anybody. Everything we did when we hit was at game speed with two machines, fastball, curveball, fastball, changeup, you know, doing all of those things where you had to work at a game speed. And sure, was it at necessarily off of an arm, off of a really good arm, 
practice level? No, but at-bats are at-bats, and getting your timing is about getting timing. Now, handling the adrenaline of a game, that's a different conversation. He's going to be sped up. He's an emotional guy, but that's something that he has had 14 years of experience doing. So no, because I don't expect him to be the Bryce Harper that we last saw in October right now. But if you're able to kind of work through that, then you're getting the best of Bryce Harper by May 17th rather than June 15th or July 1, which is just a credit to being able to have your lineup intact for the for the middle part of your season. Yeah, and I think the Phillies are playing the long game a little bit. And and I think they have all year. I think you've seen it with the bullpen. I mean, how he's Rob Thompson's managed the bullpen is they fully expect to be there in October. And he knows how tired those guys got. And um, so, yeah, get Harper in the lineup. Get your, They should be able to win enough games with him in the lineup if he's not operating as an MVP. We've seen them kind of start to play better of late. Obviously, they had a rough one last night. But, like, yeah, Harper can be bad even for a month. But he was probably going to be that if he sat out till June. And then it's like, okay, well, now he's bad until July. Now we're pushing later and later. Like, get him back. Get him in the lineup. Get him around the guys. Have your lineup intact like you said. Get those game reps in. Okay, so he's not going to hit 315 with, uh, you know, at, and, and hitting the home run at, the, at rates that he normally does for the first even month or so. That's fine. He's Bryce Harper. I mean, we saw him struggle last year after he came back with the broken thumb. He was bad for the last month of the season, but he was in that lineup. His presence is felt. It lengthens the lineup. Whether he's going good or going bad, you circle him on the lineup card every night because it takes one swing for that guy to be back. And that's what happened. He's one swing in St. Louis. And the next thing you know, he owned the playoffs. So it makes sense to me. And, and like you said, um, back to the very beginning, it's good for baseball. It's good to to have this guy back in the lineup. You want all this. It was just like it was good for Tatis to be back in that lineup. It's great for Harper to be back in this lineup. And, and uh, you know, it's, I know, obviously, as a Phillies fan, I'm excited, and I know a ton of other Phillies fans were super excited. I got several texts yesterday and this morning just about it um, because he's, you know, he is. He's a polarizing figure. He's a superstar. He's one of the, the faces of baseball. He's one of the most recognizable names and players that, that the game has, and, and you want that guy on the field um, as much as possible and as soon as possible. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And we'll have plenty of time to talk about him throughout the season, I'm sure he's going to have a moment. I don't exactly know what day or when it's going to be, but whether it be in his return to Citizens Bank or in tonight, really, um, we'll obviously know tomorrow if he if he walks up to the plate and takes Julio Arias deep. But we're going to have plenty of time to talk about Bryce Harper, and we spent a ton of time that if you're interested in the Philadelphia Phillies and their roster and everything that they've been so far through the season, check out our last episode, episode 69. Nice. Uh, go back, check it out. We did a lot of Phillies talk, bullpen, rotation, Wheeler, Nola, lineup, everything. Even talked a little bit about Trey Turner and maybe some of the causes for concern or positives that you can hang your hat on with him. But obviously there's been a lot of baseball players that have had great starts to the season. Specifically, we're going to talk about more hitters and then one pitcher in particular. Uh, so we like to give some love when we can. We feel like we've been very negative on the last couple podcasts. So we're going to start off talking about with a couple dudes that are just absolutely raking and, and really all of them seem like they have a chance to stay, to stick around, to still be productive. And, and some of them are names that we've known in the past. And some of them are guys that have kind of come out of nowhere. So the first guy that I definitely want to talk about is Brent Rooker. Brent Rooker came up with the Minnesota Twins. He was a first round draft pick out of Mississippi State. Dan's future employer um, now that they're looking for a pitching coach, but he struggled. He raked through the minors, didn't really have a position. Obviously, we've we talk about the twins a lot. They're kind of loaded at first base and corner outfield. That's kind of a log jam there, even though they did sign Joey Gallo this offseason to to help out in that capacity. Didn't really stick with them. Went over to the Kansas City Royals, who could use a guy like him. Um, and struggled again. 
Well, so far this year, he's second in the league in expected WOBA, which is basically just his batted ball profile, how hard he's hitting the ball, how whether it's in the air or not, and if it's staying power or if it's just luck. He's hitting on total 350 for average, 465 on base percentage, 779 slugging, and a 1.244 OPS with nine home runs. So Dan, obviously Brent Rooker's a guy that if you follow baseball through the draft and up, he's a guy that we've all known that could hit. He competed for a Golden Spikes Award his senior year in college, but there was a lot, not exactly a huge track record before he came over to Oakland, but he seems to be finding himself a home in the corner outfield DH slot for that. How many guesses would it have taken you to figure out who the guy on the A's was with nine home runs, or even if that the A's had a guy with nine home runs right now? Um, and unfortunately, that's. I just would have said Sean of, Murphy. Ooh, <laughs> that I mean, that's just kind of the product of being in Oakland A right now. Unfortunately, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's these type of guys always fascinate me, and I think that guys like Brent Rooker are such a good like case of how hard it is to make it in this sport, and why we should appreciate the good players even more so than we already do. Because all of these guys have this talent. As you said, like <clears throat> he was a guy who obviously like a lot of people knew um, going through his draft process just because of his college career. And he obviously played at the highest level of college baseball in the SEC and, and at one of the, the better programs. And then like it just – it didn't really click. It was crowded in Minnesota. They've had a million. Like, you know, when he was trying to break in, they, they even – like Miguel Snow, remember that? He had like 35 mm-hmm. homers one time. And, and they just had a ton of – ton of guys at that spot and he couldn't and then like last year in kansas city was a disaster i mean last year was a when you look at his numbers last year it was just like i mean they're not pretty obviously and and i don't mean to demean him in any way because we're celebrating him but like he had a 183 expected batting average a a 306 expected like he just didn't do anything well he didn't put barrel to ball um he's increased his launch angle which i i think is interesting because clearly he was he made an adjustment and and you know i haven't watched enough of him admittedly this year to like be able to tell you that there was anything but you look at the numbers and it's like incredible because this can happen and this stuff happens all the time where a guy with a ton of talent it clicks for him and they get into a right situation and and i'm happy for him i'm happy for the a's that they have a guy and it's looking good because his numbers are impressive like you were talking about jack swinski you want to see a lot of red I mean, look at his baseball savant page. It's it's red, <clears throat> except mm-hmm. for the chase rate, which again, you know, that's always a little bit worrisome because uh, that can catch up to you. Because if you're swinging and, and, and missing on balls out of the zone a lot, you might start to get picked on as people start to kind of put reports together after a month or two in the season. But I, I, also, I think it can work the other way. If you get hot enough and and you start really seeing beach balls up there, you can stop chasing. That's possible, and and, and then you really start to take off. So, um, it's 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 been impressive, and and um, again, like just <clears throat> everyone, every one of these guys really does have a lot of talent, and sometimes it just takes them getting into the right situation or, or getting, you know, the right idea to finally click in their head at the plate, and and things can can happen for them. Yeah, and and Brent Rooker, I think the the struggles in the past had been from him searching. I mean, for a guy that's hit his whole career and then gets into a point where basically he can't find a home because he doesn't have defensive value and he's not hitting enough. Last year seems like kind of that aberration of like I'm searching, like searching yeah. for anything to click. Um, and obviously, whatever he found in Oakland right now, he's 81st percentile in hard hit percentage at 48.1 percent, 98th percentile in barrel percentage with 24.1 percent. Obviously, you got to refine that that approach and make sure you're not chasing and getting exposed. But it definitely seems like he's settling into what could be one of potentially the better power hitters in the game today. And and definitely another good player for the Oakland A's that they can eventually trade off and and find a new home for him. So, um, but I saw Mets fans saying that they need to trade for him. The guy's pre-arb. He's not a free agent this offseason. So just take your uneducated takes and and just keep them to yourself because uh, the A's are not trading Brent Rooker to the no to he, the Mets. right. He's he's affordable, so he's going to be a guy that's going to stick on their yeah. roster and like. Relax, Met fans. We're not doing that this episode, but like, yeah. boy, relax up there in New York. Uh, and what's <laughs> interesting with Rooker too is like you look at it and and 
what's the biggest sign of a guy that comes up and, and has struggles is like, oh, he can't, he's going to have trouble lasting is if you can't hit a fastball at the big league level. And if you look at, you know, what pitchers were able to do with him, um, with forcing fastballs, really, like he, he couldn't get to them. Um, and, and he wasn't hitting fastballs and now he's absolutely mashing them. And it's like, that's yeah. how you stick at the bit. Like, look, I am a pitching guy who is all for, you know, pitch usage and throwing our off-speed stuff more. But, like, it's still, like, so much of the game still starts and ends with the fastball, um, especially yeah. with the velocities we're seeing nowadays. You know, like, if you mm-hmm. can't – if you don't have a good fastball and you don't – can't hit a fastball, like, those are – that's usually a bad recipe for you. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And and speaking of a guy who, who mashes – everything since he's came up seems to be taking a little bit of a step forward but he's kind of your prototypical uh john smoltz billy ripkin type hitter doesn't strike out it's bo bo bichette bo knows classic if anybody knows anything about bo jackson uh bo knows bo bo bichette's been swinging the stick this year he's hitting 344 379 obp 552 slug 931 OP. OPS with seven home runs, 94th percentile expected WOBA, 88th percentile K percentage. He's only striking out in 14% of his at-bats and 90th percentile expected slugging. Like I said, Bo Bichette is one of those kind of prototypical what old school guys like to see. Doesn't strike out, has a two-strike approach. He does all those things well, but he kind of combines the the old school thought with, I'm going to get an A-hack off as much as possible. And you're starting to see that in the fact that he doesn't strike out, but he's still not sacrificing anything for some power with the seven home runs and a 552 slugging percentage. So Bo Bichette's been a guy in that lineup that has a lot of guys performing well through this part of the season. Really, they look like they're going to push the Tampa Bay Rays as the best team in the AL East, and he's a big part of that. Yeah, when we did our previews, um, I remember I said I need to kind of wake up to Bo Bichette because for whatever reason, I had kind of just ignored him for – the last couple of years, which is stupid. I mean, he led the AL and hits in 21 and 22, and he's leading the AL and hits in 23. Like, Bo Bichette hits. Uh, he's a, a really good hitter. I think he's a guy who has just a really good approach, and you see him make in-at-bat adjustments. Like, he's one of the best players in the league as far as that's concerned. Um, you know, he knows – he also has a really good understanding of who he is and what where his damage zone is. And he's so talented that he can – force pitchers into those zones i mean within and at bat because he he can spoil he can lay off of stuff and then he gets that pitch in the damage zone and he doesn't miss and you know it may not be the tantalizing power but it's the it's the bat to ball skills that you kind of drool over in scouting right and and it's it's the talent that just doesn't come around every day as far as being able to put the ball in play right you know like it's it's luis arias with more thump um, you know, he's, I think he really is at that level and, and he's one of the, he's one of the premier players in the league. He's turned himself into that. There was a lot of hype when he came up and he's starting to live up to it. Um, but man, that's an exciting team. And that's a roster that I think both you and I really liked before the season started. And, and it's really coming together here as we enter the second month. Oh, definitely. I mean, you're looking at obviously Bo Bichette, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Matt Chapman's been one of the best players in baseball, if not the best hitter in baseball. Combine that with his elite defensive abilities and and that's a formidable lineup and Kevin Gaussman's one of the you know he had some tough batted ball luck last year and he's looked like an ace to start this season so there's no doubt about that that they're one of the best teams in baseball and Bo Bichette's a huge part of that um, and another AL East team that we're going to talk about and, and this one isn't exactly the guy you think of when you think about a guy who who rakes or, or has raked at all during his career super talented player came up with the New York Yankees, was traded over to the Oakland A's, struggled to stick, never made it to the big leagues with them, kind of was in and out of the league, found a home last season with the Baltimore Orioles, showed a lot of value with elite defense. He's continuing to do that and also some stolen base potential, which we're starting to see the the revival of the stolen base. I'm just going to say Dan and I had that first. We were calling this that the that there were teams that were revaluing the stolen base at the midway point of last year, and we're starting to see it now. But Jorge Mateo has turned himself into a formidable hitter. 
Yes, he's slightly overperforming his expected stats, but I don't think anybody's expecting Jorge Mateo to hit 347 with no. on pace for 30 plus home runs and 40 plus bags. Nobody's expecting him to be that. But what he's shown so far is enough to make him a 90th percentile on expected WOBA, 93rd percentile with an expected batting average of 303, 89th percentile on expected slugging percentage with a 558. And if you're telling me that a guy who is going to steal 35 to 40 bags if he stays healthy and plays every day gives you 303 with a 558 expected slug which is what his batted ball profile is basically saying he should be doing and is going to play great defense at shortstop. I think there's 32 teams across the league that would sign up and probably 25 of them that would replace their current shortstop with that guy. And that guy's Jorge Mateo. And Jorge Mateo has been great so far this year. He's been great for the Baltimore Orioles. He's been arguably their best player. And it's been super impressive for a team that has a lot of guys that are really good. Yeah, you could see this coming a little bit last year with just his confidence, right? Like as the Orioles started to gain confidence in that second half of last year, like he was a guy who was one of the the big, you know, the key cogs to that. And like he started to gain confidence and he could he was starting to play free, like go run. Like that's the biggest value that you add to a big league team is your speed. So go do it. Just go fly around the field. Um, and we've mentioned that with a few guys where it's like, just let the horses run wild. And and once he started to do that, he started to get confident. And now the stick's following along this year. And, and he's been one of the best players in the league just because of what he brings, like multi-dimensional. Now, again, like you said, yes, he's outperforming his expected. He's not going to hit 347. He's a 237 career hitter. 23 home runs, I think, or something like that coming into the year um, in his career. He's got six, right? Like that. some of this is going to level out, but – not to the point where he's going to be of negative value. Like he's a really good baseball player. And I think the fact that, again, it's another guy who got into an environment which he could succeed in and was comfortable in. And you just see that confidence go. It's another, like he's tooled up. Like that's a fact. Like when you have a guy who's athletic like that um, and then you let him be that athlete and you let him run wild, like <clears throat> I think that can just do a lot for a guy's confidence of like, okay, I'm valued here. They're letting me do what I feel like I do best. And they trust not you. Putting, yeah, right. Exactly. There's a trust thing. They're not putting any restrictions on me. And then the, uh, you start to see the other parts of their game follow it. Um, and, and you know, I, that, that's part of the look. The Orioles are doing a great job. There's no secret to that. Like they are doing a flat out, a terrific job in building this thing and getting ready to really take off. And he's one of the key reasons. And, you know, that environment and that culture that they seem to have right now, like that is a extremely confident team who is young and just, you know, playing the game. Mm-hmm. And he's a big part of it. I think coming into the season, everybody thought, hey, the new stolen base rules, maybe he could just, you know, push 50, give you 10 and play elite defense and maybe keep the seat warm for Joey Ortiz or Gunnar Henderson moves over to short or whoever they had in the farm system that's just so deep. And now you're starting to think about the guy who's going to be play shortstop and who's going to be playing around him. And you're right. I think last year was just building that trust. This year was allowing him to just be Again, you're probably looking at a guy who settles closer to the 270. If he pushes 20 home runs, which I think he set himself up to do, great. If he doesn't, give me 45 bags and you're going to play shortstop every day and we're going to love you because Gunnar Henderson's going to keep getting more comfortable in a big league lineup. We already have the superstar in Adley Rutschman. Cedric Mullins is arguably one of the most underrated players in baseball. He could easily push 30-30 on any given year. And you don't have to be the superstar that you're being, but if you're going to get hot like this on any given month, any given stretch, we'll take it. And you'll be great. And there was a mechanical adjustment. He was kind of a guy that almost gained ground, got over his front side. I was watching MLB Central this morning. He got wider base, got a toe tap, and he's just staying behind the baseball. And it looks explosive. It looks consistent. His bat's in the hitting zone longer. He's holding his posture longer. And he's able to get to the pool side in the air. And he's strong. You, you mentioned he has tools. So the mechanical adjustment combined with the newfound confidence combined with an organization who's going to let him be him 
There's no reason he's not going to be a top 10 shortstop across the league for at least the next couple of years. I mean, he's a dynamic athlete and somebody's finally given him a chance to play. I mean, everybody else wanted to move him to center, move him to the outfield, yep. blah, 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 blah. Like now he's just playing. Yeah. And how valuable is that to a team? Like you think, like what you just said, they have a superstar in Adley. They have potentially a superstar in Gunnar Henderson. They have Cedric Mullins, who can be a 30-30 guy and be an all-star every year. Having a guy that can do what he does, bring you 45 bags, hit 15 home runs, potentially 260 to 280. Like that's huge. You put that in your old, like you add that to what you we what else I just mentioned. And like that is how you start to win and win a lot is when you're rolling yeah. like four guys out there who bring that quality and how easy is it to build around the rest of it. And I mean, we talk about it all the time, the mental side, especially with hitting, like, you know, how important is that to feel trusted, to feel valued, to feel that you can just go be free. I mean, that is huge for a baseball player. When you're, when you're having to go up there and do one of the hardest things to do in sports to feel all of those things and, and be mentally in a good place, like you have to, you have to, am huh. I right? And I think even the most important thing is the fact that he wasn't the best version of himself last year, but they still went into this offseason saying you're our shortstop. Yeah. It might you're gonna get pushed. We're deep, we're young. We just took an, another shortstop, number one overall, who is just gonna light up the minors because he's just a ticking time bomb because he's just growing into his body and he's still learning how to move. We have Gunnar Henderson, who's obviously one of the best hitting prospects we've seen in recent memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're our shortstop for next year, and now he's been able to to prosper. He's been able to have a lot of success and and that confidence of not feeling like every at bat is. I'm going to get sent to AAA. Uh, I'm going to be sent to AAA. And now he's able to go 0 for 4 last year. He, I mean, he only hit, what, 220 last year? He told, stole a ton of bases, didn't show a ton of power. He, had, he was kind of flashing a pan, uh, in a pan power guy. But, you know, to be able to have the trust of your organization that, you know, you can struggle and still be trusted to be the shortstop every day of a team that that thinks they can w- make the playoffs that thinks they can compete for a wild card spot or even a division title in a, in a really competitive division. So um, another guy that that has a lot of experience dealing with failure, kind of like Jorge Mateo early in his career. He was a guy that was released, DFA'd, bounced around the league for a little bit, finally found a home in Los Angeles. Heard that before way too many times, and that's Max Muncie. Currently, he's only hitting 238, but he has a 407 OBP and a 643 slugging percentage and a one dot OPS. He's got 11 home runs on the year so far. That's even with missing three or four games this season to be on the paternity leave with the with the Los Angeles Dodgers All Star break that was pumping out children apparently. And he's also has a 99th percentile barrel percentage, 97th percentile slugging. 96th percentile expected Woba and a 99th percentile walk percentage. So he's a guy that really just has found his niche as a player. He's not hitting the 260s that he was a couple years back. He struggled through the beginning part of last year, started to look like the guy that that was kind of a scrappy player and then just found his his form hitting and, and went on an absolute tear, not end of last week, the week before. Yeah, he's one of the true power-hitting, streaky guys that we have in baseball. I mean, he is as streaky as they come, where it's going to be ugly at times, and then it's going to be six bombs in a week. And it's like, whoa. Um, and that's you know that's the type of player he is, and he's a guy who's always been an elite on-base guy. I mean, he's always up there towards the top in the league leaders and walks. Now, the average is just one of those things where sometimes it comes for him and it doesn't, but... You know, I don't think his value is necessarily in just the the hits, right? He's a lot – it's it's all about the power and getting on base. If he's going to get on base at 400 and hit you 40 bombs, like sign you up, 230, 220, 215, 250. Like who cares? Um, and, and when he gets into these zones, he launches baseballs, um, you know, and he puts on a show. And, and um He's a guy who it's funny. He's had, he's certainly, like you said, he, he's had his struggles throughout his career, especially early on. He even had a down year a couple other years, but he's just can, kind of consistent in, in his streakiness, um, which those guys are valuable when you're talking about trying to put together a roster is having those guys who are a threat to get super hot and just be able to flat out carry you for a week. 
like those guys, if you don't have enough of those guys or even one of them in your lineup, like it can get tough to continuously try and string together hits and because you're not going to have eight superstars in your lineup who are just good from start to finish. Like it doesn't happen in this game. It's too hard. So to have a guy yeah. who can get so hot that they just carry you for two weeks at a time is extremely valuable. Yeah, we've seen it with Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is is finally starting to find his form. He went three for five last night with a home run against the Philadelphia Phillies. And he's a guy, obviously, who we think of as being Mr. Consistency. And, I mean, I've seen a lot of, again, I, I must be on the drebs of social media. So, um, <laughs> But a lot of people comparing Connor Wong and Alex Verdugo to Mookie Betts and saying how the Red Sox made out well in the trade because Alex Verdugo's baseball savant page looks good and and for the next 10 years, I, again, wait, I, I don't even want to have that yeah, conversation. You got to get right out. Now, but, You're in a dark, in, you in, a in, dark crevice. In, uh, in terms of what Max Muncy brings for a lineup that does have guys that you would consider a little bit more consistent. We have the Mookie Betts of the world, the Freddie Freemans, the everyday Will Smith guy that just always hits homers it feels like and he's a guy that has a niche in that lineup he's 74th percentile in chase rate he doesn't swing at balls he barely swings the bat but when he does he gets a lot of quality contact sure eighth percentile whiff percentage that's worrisome but that's because he takes a clean hack and like i said he barely swings the bat he's one of the league league's leaders in uh least swung bats swings per plate appearance i don't know he is one patient. of the one of the most patient. He's guys. the most patient <laughs> hitters in the league. Um, so he's a guy who understands himself. He understands what he does damage with, and and as he once told Madison Bumgarner after he had a home run off of him, "Why don't you go out into the water and get it yourself if you got a problem?" I've been with a fan it, so. since. Yeah, go go grab the ball out of the ocean. Why don't you? You Um, Which is just (laughs) iconic. Um, Some other guys that I just want to point out before we get into our Zach Gallen conversation is some other guys that are just having great years. Uh, Some big name guys, some under the radar guys. Sean Murphy's come over to to Atlanta and just been absolutely unbelievable. We've seen a lot of the MVP Ronald Acuna and superstar talent this year that uh, we expect. He's been great. Lamont Wade Jr., he's a guy that plays out in the plays out in the West Coast. He's a Bay Area guy, so we don't get a lot of love for him. He's been raking this year. We already mentioned Jack Sawinski. His baseball savant page looks really good. Jonah Heim, Big piece, making up for Corey Seager not being there. He's been great for the Texas Rangers. And lastly, we can get a little hot takey here, but we're, we're starting to see that there might be a legitimate debate for who the best power hitter in baseball is. And, and his main name might be Pete Alonzo and not Aaron Judge because since he's made his debut, he's been phenomenal. He's touched 50 home runs. He's never had the 60 that our guy Aaron Judge has had, um, but he's up to 13 on the year already. He looks great, um, and he's really just been he's been hitting homers since he stepped foot on a big league field, which is pretty impressive to say the least. Yeah, I, I, the Alonzo thing, I think there's definitely a conversation to be had about him being the best power hitter. It's hard to kind of sway away from Judge just because of how imposing of a figure Aaron Judge is. And the fact that he did hit the 62 last year. But you're right, since he entered the league, like no one's consistently hit the home runs that Pete Alonso has. Um, and you see him in the home run derby. And if you're a good power hitter, you're probably pretty good at the home run derby. And that's like his thing. He lives for the home run derby. Um, yeah. He's definitely an interesting dude. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's no denying it. Where would the Mets be without Pete Alonso? Like, you want to have concerns. That team without Pete Alonso would be starkly different. Um, but he's there and they don't have to worry about that. And he's going to continue to just pump out 40 to 50 home runs every year. He's become a better hitter each year, I think as well, um, which is impressive. And the other guy for me that really stands out on that, you know, that's a a good list of names, but you know, Jonah Heim now, this is going like he did it all last year and, and it kind of snuck up on everybody, but he just continues to rake as a switch hitting catcher, which, um, you know, we've seen a few of those, um, you know, in recent years, you know, you think of Yasmani Grandal and obviously the the best one in the league who people think could be the best catcher. But Jonah Heim has been fantastic. I mean, Jonah Heim is, is a guy who's who's been everything and more that the uh, Rangers could have hoped for. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And, uh, you know, we look at guys that have had great starts to the year. 
Um, and, and we definitely wanted to highlight somebody, you know, we do, we do talk about pitchers occasionally, so we got to give some credit where credit's due. And there's nobody who's been more dominant to start this season. I think there's an argument to be made for a couple different guys, but you're talking about a guy who has thrown 28 scoreless innings straight. He's one of the most underrated arms in the game coming off a 22 season where he pitched to a 2.54 ERA with 192 Ks in 184 innings and was fifth in the Cy Young voting in the National League. And that's Zach Gallen. Listen to these last four starts, and I'm going to name the teams just so we know that it's not coming against nobodies. On April 10th against the Milwaukee Brewers, the first place Milwaukee Brewers, he went seven innings, three hits, zero earned runs, one walk, 11 Ks. On April 16th against the Miami Marlins, he went six and two-thirds innings, two hits, zero earned, zero walk, seven Ks. On April 21st against the San Diego Padres, he went seven innings, two hits, zero earned, zero walks, 11 Ks. On April 26th he against the Kansas City Royals, he went six and a third with four hits, zero earned, zero walks, and 12 Ks. That is unbelievable for a team that has been great and really needs their ace to be their ace in the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Zach Gallen has been everything and more that the Arizona Diamondbacks want and expect from their top of the line rotation starter. Yeah, he's every bit one of the best pitchers in baseball. Uh, you can make a case that he is the best pitcher in baseball right now. He's dominant, and I love the way he does it. Like we t- we did a whole episode on him when he had that ridiculous second half last year. I think it was the first time we ever recorded together in Lillington. We talked a lot about him um, and we talked about his pitch usage and how it's changed. And you look at his pitch usage this year and it's kind of artistry. It's four pitches that he uses just about all of them the same. So it's hard to eliminate. It's hard to sit on. It's hard to kind of have a plan. Um, they all move differently and he's not a guy, right? Like you look at his savant page and you look at where he sits percentiles and he's not like a, he's not a flamethrower, right? He's right in the middle of the pack as far as fastball velocities, but right around that league average. And that just makes it that much more impressive when so many guys nowadays are relying on power stuff, right? You think the Garrett Coles of the world, the Sandy Alcantara, like it's power stuff. Gallon's just, it's artistry. It's mixing pitches. It's like if old school baseball fans love Zach Gallon. Because it's it's mixing velocities, it's mi- mixing pitch shapes, it's understanding tunneling, and it's having elite command. And um, he's so fun to watch. That changeup is ridiculous. Um, he he throws like a three finger one where he's kind of on top of the baseball with three fingers. He's not really on a seam, and he kind of holds it lightly. And it's interesting because uh, I heard him talking about it, and it's uh, he had small hands when he was younger. So that's kind of how he was taught to hold a baseball with three fingers. He was throwing three finger fast seams when he was in little league or two seams when he was in little league. And that kind of helped him develop that change up. Um, and it is, it's one of the best change ups in the league. And, you know, he's outperforming his expecteds enough, which makes sense when your expected numbers are as ridiculous, like, or when your numbers are as ridiculous as his, your expecteds are going to be a little bit um, worse, but they're not that much worse, right? We're talking like 40 average points. So, oh, guys are still hitting 190 against a specific pitch instead of the the 130 that they really are. Um, it's insane. He fills it up. Like you said, I mean, how many of those games did you say? I mean, he strikes out a, a three of, of guys the four were. One zero walks and then the zero other zero walks three one. of the four like it's ridiculous so like we've talked at nauseum about guys and like okay are they getting swings and misses in the zone like sometimes that's a concern if they can't get swings and misses in the zone because how long can that be sustainable you know because now you're factoring in you know bad Ebola he gets swings and misses and he never leaves the zone like yeah that, that's a stuff that's it here it comes you can't touch it. I'm coming right after you. Yeah, I think the most impressive thing when you you look at his stats this year is that he had two clunkers to kick off the year. Which is- he went and he's pitching to a 2.15. Like we're not talking about a guy who came out the gates. You know, Garrett Cole hasn't given up more than one earned run in a, in an outing. Sonny Gray has been unbelievable to start this year, um, adding with the addition of the cutter that he's been using and replacing his four seam fastball. So Zach Allen's been just as good as those guys. He just had two outings where he gave up eight earned runs over the first two outings of his year and then went on to proceed and give up 
zero earned since. So it's crazy to think about because he's, you said he's an elite strike thrower, 51 Ks with five walks and 37, two thirds innings. Um, just 91st percentile and walk percentage, 96th percentile and K percentage. That's the stuff you want to see from an ace. Sure. He gets hard, hit hard when it's put in play. Yeah. But we've talked about this before. So does Garrett Cole. Like, so does Garrett Cole. Not everybody is the Zach Wheelers of the world who can get ground balls, soft ground balls, and strikeouts. That's very rare, and that's why when Zach Wheeler's on, he's one of the best, or he's one of the best arms in baseball. He's one of the most dominant arms in baseball. So you know, seeing Zach Gallen do the same thing is is pretty impressive to be able to do that. And you know, I kind of want to talk about his rise. He was the first spin rate darling. He was with Miami at the time. We started talking about spin rate. We started talking about vertical movement. It was like 2018 range. Um, comes up. He he makes his debut. He has great minor league stats, punching tickets, elite command, throwing strikes, all this stuff like that. Makes his debut, dominates, gets ends up getting traded. Um, he ends up getting traded to for Jazz Chisholm, who's been great over to the Diamondbacks after one year. And he's just been seamless ever since. He had a little bit of a hiccup in 2021 when he pitched to a 4.5. Um, but last year, 2.54 ERA. And we've seen stretches like this dominance from him. Last year, he had a 44 and a third inning scoreless streak. This is what he does. 44. This is what he does. Yeah. This is he Which, gets hot and like just he gets hot, yeah, and it's on un, it's unhittable stuff. And while that obviously is like okay, that makes his two point five four ERA not look as good from last year. Whatever you want to say, and and that was kind of where my brain went. But does it matter? Because no, because to me, it's if like he is a little streaky. So it doesn't matter. Well, I'm pitching so hard to put together forty. How many starts is that? I mean, you're talking about averaging I mean, seven for six straight at least. So that would be five games seven. through all complete games, which we know he's not. So you're talking about probably, like you said, six, seven, eight starts. No, not six, seven, eight, nine starts where he's just doing that. Like that is that's absurd. I mean, to do that, yeah. that's I mean, five starts is a sixth of your season. So like, no, he's just really good. So that the two five four is true to me, and I. Real quick, I don't want to get off Zach Allen here, but how badly could the Cardinals use Zach Allen and Sandy Alcantara when they traded for yeah. Marcelo Zuna? <laughs> yeah. Oof. yeah, that's a and he was really good with them for the second half. So like, can't get it. And he was really good with the Marlins. No, at that but point it's just and, fun to think. And really, Marcelo Zuna, like now, obviously, we see the Marcelo not, Zuna that right. he is, and he's just not good. But he was pretty darn valuable player sure. for, hold on, for hold stretches on. I'm sorry. in his career. I'm not, I was not No, no, no. I know. I'm just saying I, those guys were once No, I torched the trade. Yeah, they could And that them. team yeah. needs pitching. Yeah. Like That trade, you're that. absolutely right. Like For the time where they were at, good yeah. deal. Like Don't get me wrong. But I'm just like thinking like, wow, they, they have both these guys. They really need pitching right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and Zach Gallon's been great. And I know – 90% of the league would love a Zach Gallon in their at the top oh, of their yeah. rotation. There's not very many ace yeah. ace starters that you would take over Zach Gallon, but um obviously a lot of good across baseball. I mentioned this a couple of times. We felt like we got a little negative over the last couple of podcasts, so we wanted to sprinkle a little bit of positivity on the MLB and some guys that have been having you know, just great starts of the year, great first months of the year. It's kind of just the April recap we got here. Um, so we'll go through a couple series that we're looking forward to this weekend, and then we'll get out of here and, and make sure you're looking out for the college baseball episode later this week. So we got the Blue Jays versus the Pirates this weekend. We got the Yankees versus the Rays. The Yankees are going to try to to stop this little skid that they've got going. They got the Guardians and then have to travel down to the Trop. Red Sox and Phillies, so that'll be a fun one at the bank. That'll be Bryce Harper's debut back at the bank. Uh, Twins versus Guardians. Orioles versus Braves in some interleague play. Shohei Otani and Trout get to head to Texas to take on what has uh, been a really good Texas Rangers team so far. First time we get Tatis against the Los Angeles Dodgers. That should be fun. Juan Soto's already brought his average up to 215, down from what it was, 176 a couple days ago. So you know he's finding his swing. He's starting to find some knocks there. And lastly, in a rematch of the division series from last year, we got the Astros battling it out with the Seattle Mariners. So, Dan, obviously lots of good baseball to look forward to. What are are some things that that you're going to be excited to watch? 
Um, real quick, Zach Allen's score streak ended in the first inning, unfortunately. Gosh um, darn it. We jinxed yeah. him. I don't know, because he gave that up before we started talking about him, I feel like, uh, during the second inning. Anyway, um, you know, I think the 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 Yankees got to get it going, and having to go to Tampa where they, they've really struggled the past couple of years is, is fascinating. Um, the Twins and Guardians are, are two teams who are, are vying for the Central. Um and the Dodgers Padres, man, like that, again, that those series are so important in that division this year. So those are kind of the, the three that are, are interesting and another good measuring stick series for the Orioles. I've had a few yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and I feel like we, the more we get, the more we get through this season, the more you're just kind of not waiting for the Orioles to, to struggle a little bit. I think they still have flaws in their roster, but you know, continue like to be cool testing. Off. They continue to win. And Brandon Hyde doesn't get enough credit for, for what he's been he's able great. to do in Baltimore. He, he, he must have that. He, those boys must be buzzing. Um, and, and he must do a great job with them, but obviously ton of content coming out on all social channels. Make sure you're checking out, working on getting some clips out and trying to get the podcast. So um, just some of our shorter form stuff of some of our, our passioned impassioned rants that we go on during the podcast. So looking to get them out, make sure you're following on all social channels. Make sure you're sharing with your, with five friends, sharing with all of your friends that like baseball, send them a TikTok, send them a tweet, Send them whatever. Just send them the podcast link. They don't have to tune into the whole episode right now. We know that it takes a, you know, it's brick by brick. We can't expect somebody to be the loyalist of loyal fans and stick around till minute 70 in the podcast when we're in here deep right away. So we just want them to listen to a couple minutes and give us a chance. So you make sure you're you're doing our, our marketing for us from that. But um, make sure you're liking, sharing, subscribing, five-star reviews, wherever you get your podcast in any way to help us grow the podcast. We really enjoy doing this. We're in full swing of baseball season, college baseball content, MLB content. We're coming to you with three episodes a week. Uh, so just doing our best to be as consistent as possible. A lot of big Big news in the pipeline, huge interview coming that's going to be dropping on Friday. A lot of exciting stuff coming from the backside ground balls world. But until next time, we'll see you guys on the next podcast. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek. Find your game you want to go to and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL.